Good morning, good morning, everybody. It is good to see y'all. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here, and we are going through a series on the ministry of Jesus in the book of Luke. Uh, and we are getting to the end of this portion of Luke. It goes up to chapter 9, verse 51. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27. And if you are in membership class today, you get a double dose of one of uh, a, the greatest passages on discipleship that Scripture gives us. The title of today's sermon is Following the Christ. So we're going to read together. Verses 18 to 27, you should have the passage on your uh, service sheet so that you can follow along. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah and others that, the one, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day, be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God, the word of the Lord, amen. So my wife was having a conversation with a young, young girl, uh, junior high age, and she, the young girl asked my wife, do your kids know how to floss? And so Heather said, uh, not the younger ones, not the girls, uh, they're, they're not old enough yet, but the boys, they know how to floss. And so then the girl asked, are they good at it? And so Heather said, I don't know. I don't watch them while they floss. I, I think that they're good at it. And so then she said, well, look at me. I'm really good at it. And she began to dance. <laughs> so for those of you that are not laughing, the floss is, a, I wish Josiah was here right now. He would be able to show everybody how to do it. Uh, but it is, it is one of those TikTok dances that have gone around, uh, and it's also in Bluey, so now all the little kids are doing it as well. Uh, but it, it, was, it was such a funny conversation because we can be using the same exact words, but in a different context mean two totally different things to me and you. And, and that is what we would call a good old misunderstanding. Now, if anybody has ever worked with me more than two hours, you will know that I am the king of misunderstandings because I love to give what I think are very clear directions and what everybody else seems to not think is so clear. 
Uh, and, and so today, we, well, the passage that we read is one of the great misunderstandings that comes out uh, between Jesus and his disciples. And, and I love it because um, it just shows that, you know, I'm on God's side of the misunderstandings. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love everybody shaking their head right now. <laughs> See, Jesus here is talking to the disciples, having a conversation about who he is. And the first thing that he that we kind of need to understand from this passage is we understanding who Jesus is correctly. Because there was a lot of misunderstanding about who Jesus is. And so the first thing that Jesus kind of hits today is getting his name right. See, we have to first understand correctly who Jesus's name is, what his name is. And we look at the scripture, we see that a lot of people had a lot of different opinions of who Jesus was, but generally the crowd, the people that followed Jesus everywhere, if you remember from last week, the people that Jesus just fed them bread to the 5,000 plus multitude, they assumed that Jesus was one of the prophets. And the disciples, they give this answer that they think John, that he's John the Baptist come back because Herod had beheaded John. They think he is Elijah because the Israelites knew that before the Messiah came, their conquering hero, that Elijah had to come back, is the spirit. Or they just thought he was one of the prophets of old, kind of this reincarnation of Moses or Abraham or David or somebody like that. And so this is who everybody believes. But then Jesus asked this question, who do you say what I am? And his true nature comes out, his true name comes out in this, where Peter says, you are the Christ, the Christ of God. Now, Christ, it means anointed one. It means son of God. This is what his closest 12 recognize him as, that know him as. Now, we all know that we have friends. One of the things my dad always told me was when I would say, my friend and I did this, my friend and I did that, he would go, Justin, that's not your friend. That's an acquaintance. Anybody have a, an annoying parent that did that for you? <laughs> or maybe you are the annoying parent that now does it with your kids. Uh, I won't get into that one. Um, I'm sure I will be with my, with my kids, but right, the, the people that were closest to Jesus, they they had seen him when he prayed. They had seen the explanation of the parables. They had seen him in all these different ranges of his life. And they had come to this understanding of who he was, something that the crowd, even though they'd seen these incredible miracles that Jesus did, had not on their own come to this understanding yet. But they realized that this is the Messiah. This is the weighted king. This is the one that they have been waiting for, the Christ of God. And I, I pose this question to you, who in your heart do you say that Jesus is? See, the world has many definitions for Jesus. The world has a lot of different ways that they would classify Jesus. Some religions classify Jesus still as a great prophet. Some would classify him as one of the great gurus that have lived in history. 
Some would classify him as a good man with good teachings. But the question that we need to answer for ourselves, as the disciples did, is who do we say that Jesus is? Our definition needs to align with Jesus' definition if we can be saved by him. See, we cannot experience his power, his salvation, his might, the blessings that Jesus brings unless our definition of him aligns with him. And what he says, he cannot come as savior as a guru to our life. He does not come as savior as a prophet in our life. See, when we think of him just as a good teacher, as a good man, then we negate who he is, his power, his godship, his messiahship, him as Christ, and therefore we cannot receive him as savior. And so we have to first align ourselves as a kind of step one to receive his name, his title, as who Jesus says that he is himself. And here he is recognized from his disciples' mouths, but nodded from Jesus that, yes, I am the Christ, the son of God. The son of man, which alludes to a prophecy in Daniel as the one who would be coming on the clouds, the great Messiah. But when we, again, if we use a name, now the name of Jesus as Messiah is a word that we can use or a title that we can use just like that young girl used, floss. And, and we could mean two totally different things. And so we need to define what that means. We need to get the definition right of Messiah because the disciples were under this long-standing misunderstanding of what Messiah meant. In fact, not only the disciples, but all of Israel, if you read their text even today, that there is a misunderstanding of who the Messiah was and what he came to do. See, even though the disciples knew that he was the Christ of God, that he was the Messiah, the anointed one, their, their definition of what that meant was completely off. They didn't fully understand what it meant because when, when Jesus says what he's about to go through, we read it in Mark, if you're following along in our daily Bible reading, where Jesus says, well, I'm gonna go suffer now. And then what does Peter do? Don't you say that, Jesus. What are you thinking? You're not going to do that. Are you crazy? We just called you the Messiah. Messiah is not going to suffer. And what does Jesus say? He says, get thee behind me, Satan. Oof. He called this dude Satan because he misdefined who Jesus was and what it meant to be Messiah. It means this is a big deal how we define what the Messiah is. See, they thought that the Messiah was going to bring this physical kingdom, that the Messiah was going to, to come as an anointed king to bring back all the dispersion of Israel, rally up all of Judah, and rally them to Zion to not only bring them back to what was supposed to be the, the Mosaic law, but then make Israel a kingdom of priests to the nation so that the only way to God was through this physical kingdom of Israel and all the other kingdoms of the earth, including their Roman oppressors, would now bow down to Israel with Jesus, the Messiah, as this physical king. 
and that for all the rest of time, that Jesus would have lots of kids and those kids would reign and would cause a kingdom to reign where now all the nations were subject to Israel. And so the disciples, when they throw their lot in with Jesus as the Messiah, they there's a little selfishness going on because they think the closest people to Jesus are going to be the ones that reign and rule with him, the ones that get provinces or governorships or generalships over his army. They think that they're going to be elevated in this incredible way here on earth to rule and reign with Jesus. See, the disciples at this point, they had only seen Jesus win. You got to understand, this guy is going around casting out demons, multiplying food, telling the storm to be quiet, and it listens to him. He's raising young people from the dead. I mean, he is, he's putting the Pharisees and the scribes in their place. He, what he is going around, like that song goes, all I do is win, win, win. That is what Jesus, the ministry of Jesus is like right now. It seems like nothing can stop in him. So, of course, they think, oh, the Roman Empire is going to be nothing for him. I mean, we've seen this guy cast out thousands of demons with just a statement. Imagine what he can do to armies. And I think a lot of times we often fall into this misunderstanding and misinterpretation of Messiah just like the disciples do. Maybe we got the kingdom thing right. But a lot of times when we think of Messiah, we think of something different. We think of someone who solves all of our earthly problems. Someone who's going to help us live in comfort for the rest of our life. Misinterpretation. We think of someone who makes me happy. That I will no longer experience any pain or suffering in life. It's quiet now. Misinterpretation. We think of someone who gently wants some of me. He wants all. It's misinterpretation. We think of someone who wants to nationalize a country. Mm -mm. He doesn't want a plot of land. His temple doesn't reside on a mountain anymore. He wants all of our hearts. That is his kingdom, his people, his ecclesia. See, Jesus defines himself as the Messiah, as someone very different than how the disciples defined him and even how many of us define him, maybe in this room today. He defines his title as Messiah, as someone who must suffer in order to enter into glory. Verse 22, he says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. See, this begs the question then. If we know who Jesus is and we know what it means to be the Messiah, if you believe do you want to follow him? See, if the Messiah is not who we expect, if it's not this person that's gonna lead us into all comfort, is gonna lead us into a life of bliss and happiness with no pain and suffering, if it's not someone who's gonna get my nation perfectly morally correct, if it's not someone who just gently asks me every once in a while, do you wanna do this, please? 
And I get to think about it for a week. Hmm, do I want to do what he asked me? Because I still have all my autonomy and independence. If the Messiah is not that, and if it is instead, as Jesus says, the one who must suffer to enter into glory, we have to ask ourselves, do we want to follow him? See, Jesus' journey through suffering was never meant to be something he did alone. This was the source of all the misunderstanding from the disciples' perspective. Not only did they not think Jesus would suffer, but they didn't think they were going to suffer either. If you read in Acts 1, I mean, Jesus is resurrected. He died already. He went to the cross, he, he rose from the dead, he spent over a month teaching people about the kingdom of God, he's about to ascend, and then the disciples say, so Jesus, when's that kingdom coming again? They're still waiting. They're still waiting for the armies to pop up. They're still waiting for Jesus to send out the trumpet call and for all the armies to line up so that Jesus can go around conquering. They still don't understand And I love, like, Jesus is done with the explanations at that point. He says, don't worry about that. This is what I want you to do, to be my witnesses to all the earth. He, they're going to get this revelation. In Matthew 20, we see Jesus is about to have his triumphal entry. And the disciples start quarreling with who's going to be greater. Who's going to be the one that sits at his right hand and at his left hand? Who's going to be his two top lieutenants? And Jesus says, you want that seed? It's not for mine to give, but you're going to drink the cup that I drink, the cup of suffering. So I can't give you that, that place, but I can share this cup with you. See, the apostles and us are invited to join Jesus on his journey. Jesus says in verse 21, or 23, if anyone would come after me, you are invited to follow Jesus. But if you do, but if you do, this is what it will take. Know the definition of who it is that you serve. Know what you are walking into. Know who it is that you are following because when you follow someone, if, you're, if you've ever been in a situation blindfolded and you're being led by someone, they fall into a ditch, guess what? You've fallen right into that ditch with them. If somebody is being led into a precarious situation, guess what? You are being led into that situation with them. Jesus is saying, follow me as I walk to the cross. Follow me as I am misunderstood by others, as I am rejected, as I am beaten as I am crucified, follow me. See, in verse 23, it says, if anyone, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The follow me at the end of verse 23 
is defined grammatically by the first two things that Jesus says to do. So meaning, if you do these two things, then that is following me. And what are those two things? It is denying yourself and taking up your cross daily. So if you say you follow Jesus or you say you want to follow Jesus, then the two things that Jesus defines as following him are requirements of following him are to deny yourself and to take up your cross daily. What does it mean to deny yourself? It means that you no longer submit to your will, to your desires, and to your heart. You'd now submit fully and wholly to God's will. That's why when Jesus teaches them to pray, he says, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because to deny yourself, as Jesus says, to follow him is to deny yourself to say it is no, all those ambitions that I had for my life, everything that people told me when I was younger, oh, you're going to do this, you're going to do great things, you're going to do that. Every show and movie I watched and I thought, that's me, I'm the hero. This, this life is going to be about how great I can be, about how amazing I am. All those ambitions when I said yes to following Jesus, I had to lay them all down. I had to leave them at the cross. All the things my heart desired, the things I thought would be good for me, the things I thought my future had for me, I had to leave it. Jesus says, we read about this in the daily Bible and reading, the, it's not that what goes in the mouth, hallelujah, we can eat all types of food, Right? That morning bacon. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But Jesus says it's what comes out of the heart that defiles a person. Then he begins to speak about the deceit and the corruption of the heart and how all this wickedness is stored up in our hearts. This thing that the world tells you to pursue, this thing that the world tells you you should follow, follow your heart. Jesus gives us the complete opposite of that. He says, no, deny yourself. Deny your greatest ambitions. Deny your will. Deny your desire. Deny your heart. They know nothing of your future, and it will lead you only to destruction. Deny that. Instead, take up the will of the Father. Take up the heart of the Father. Take up the kingdom and the ambition of the Father. Your time is wholly his now. Your money is wholly his. Your identity is wholly his. Your life, your future, your decisions, your work, your hobbies and choices are wholly his. They're no longer yours. You give it all to him. To follow Jesus is to deny all these things and to say it is only you, God. It is not these Things, my money is not mine, my time is not mine, my identity is not mine, my life, my future, my decisions, my hobbies, none of this is mine anymore. It is yours. To take up your cross daily. A couple of months ago, I talked in a sermon titled, The War Within. I talked about what it means to kill your flesh. This, I encourage you, if you didn't listen to that, go re-watch or re-listen to that sermon because that is the definition of to take up your cross daily, is that war in the flesh, to kill the flesh, to say every day you wake up, 
and the flesh, your desires will want to take over, will want to say that this is my day, let's do it my way. And the spirit is at war with that. The spirit is saying, no, let's do it the father's way. Let's do what the father has for you. Let's spend time with the father and they compete every day for each other. See, this is a daily killing of your flesh that must happen to follow Jesus. Jesus defines following him as a daily mortification, as a daily crucifixion of your flesh. To say, you will not have your way today. What you want is not in the game plan today. And so I wrote out a list of ways that I do this. Because guess what? Like I said, this is an everyday thing. You all have seen this. I started fasting once a week. Why? To remind my body that even its most basic needs are subject to God's sustenance. I start my day in study, no matter how bad my night is before, no matter how early my kids woke me up, no matter how I'm feeling, how sick I am, I start my day in study of the scripture. Why? Because every day, it doesn't matter how late it's gonna make me for work, this is the most important way that I start my day every single day. I end every day in scripture and prayer. For those of you that are in the daily Bible reading app with me, you know that I'd be texted late on the daily Bible reading. Why? I do my study of scripture in the morning and at night I do my reflection and daily Bible reading. Why to say that God, the night, which for so many years in my life was my flesh. That was the time my flesh wreaked most havoc. It was the time where I sat in the worst areas in my mind and my heart and sin. Now I say this is redeemed for God, this is God's. Before I turn on that TV, before I play a game, before I do anything, I say my night is wholly yours, Lord, and I sit here with you. I have an app to limit how much time I can go on social media. I have this app, it tells you, it's so nice. Every day it tells you how many times have you tried to open Instagram or how many times have you tried to open Facebook in the last 24 hours? just to remind me of how fleshly I am. And then it asks you, why are you going? Are you going because you're anxious? Are you going because you're on the toilet? Literally one of the things. Are you going because you know you're depressed right now? And so you have to answer one of those questions to get access to the app because I need to remind myself, why am I going here? And then that triggers, should I be going here for that? It's called the One Sec app if you're looking for it. I have an app on all my computers that limit what websites I can go to. I confess weekly to my accountability partner, not even just what sins I've committed, but my desires. Because James says, where does sin manifest itself first in the desires of the heart? So these are the temptations that I found root in my heart this week. These are the desires that I find myself lingering on. These are the things that I've been thinking about a little too long. So that every nook and cranny is not left unturned, that light is shed everywhere in my heart because I know that the darkness cannot comprehend it. It cannot beat it. It cannot overcome it. I don't purchase things that I want right away. The Amazon cart. Things that I want, I leave in there for at least a week. 
Because I'm so used to instant gratification. I want this, I can have it tonight, or I can have it tomorrow. But a lot of times I'm going to say, no, I'm going to wait one week. Why? Because some, a lot of times in a week I don't even want it anymore. That's another story. But because after a week, my flesh has wanted something every day and I've told it no. Put it in submission to let it know who is the decision maker in this body. It's not me, it's not my flesh, it is the Lord. I take one day off every week from all work, all activity, phone, text messaging, emails, all of that. To say, my life, my money, my job, all of these things that I hold dear are not my identity. That is not where my sustenance comes from. That is not where my life comes from. It is holy from God. And so God, this day is yours. I will not give in to work. I will say that you, in you, I rest. And if I miss an important email, if I miss an important call, my paycheck comes from God. No matter what company sends that paycheck in, I know ultimately all good things come from above. This is what Jesus is asking is not for us to think about what it would mean in a worship service to think, could I give it all? And then to debate yourself in your head. No, he's asking for it all. And there's a very practical way that that plays out in our life. It plays out in our calendar. It plays out in our bank account. It plays out in our time management. It plays out in our work choices. It plays out in our family choices. It plays out in everything that we do, from how we wake up to how we go to sleep to how we take lunch to what we eat every week. It plays out in what we do. And many of us will hear the cost and immediately settle back down into autopilot and say, he can't really mean. I'm fine with some control over my life. Can't really mean everything. I know that because how often I've done that. I've heard the call of God to discipleship. I've heard the call of Jesus to follow him. And I automatically right away begin to make excuses for the things I do not want to give up. Well, it can't mean that because I really, you know, blah, 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 blah. If your mind starts triggering off like that, immediately you know things that you have not let go and put into God's hands. See, there's a lot at stake if we do not follow Jesus as he defines it. Jesus gives three consequences or three consecutive examples of what will happen if we do not follow him as he defines it. Again, that's important. Not as we define it, but as Jesus defines it. In verse 24, he says that you will lose your life. It says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. The first example. In verse 25, he says you will forfeit yourself. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? In verse 26, he says you will suffer eternal denial. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The very thing that we are trying to grasp onto, the very thing that we are trying to hold and keep by not following Jesus is the very thing that we will lose. 
It is the very thing that at the end of all those decisions, it will be taken from us. And we will feel so naive to realize that the very words of life were before us, but instead we followed the words of life that we found in our heart or we found in the world or we found on social media and we thought that was better. Instead, Jesus says, embrace him. Embrace his teachings. And the very thing that you have given up, your life, is the very thing that you will save, your life. When we put our life in Jesus' hands, what is the incredible thing is that only then, when we give up our life, only then do we truly find life. Church, your flesh, the enemy will lie to you all day and all night that it is better for you to do what you think is best. There will be a thousand and one excuses for why it is not good to spend time with God, why it is not good to be in his presence, why it is not good to crucify my flesh today, to take up the cross, to deny myself why I can start tomorrow and not start today. There is a thousand reasons why I want to eat food every Monday. You know about this meeting, I got this big thing going on, I can't. Yet, I found over and over again that no matter how much I would lie to myself, no matter how much my flesh will cry out, no matter how much the world will tell me otherwise, the only time that I've truly felt life is when I have done what Jesus has said and I have followed him. See, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Going through what Jesus called us to do is going to feel like intense suffering. To say yes to him, to trust him, to believe him, to be led by him against all of our will, against every human instinct that we have, against even our normal, good, natural desires, to say yes to him. And no to ourself will feel like we are walking into suffering. And oftentimes we have defined suffering by being in the wilderness. But that is untrue. Because the wilderness in the Old Testament is defined as being far from God's presence. When Jesus says, when you suffer, you are in fact in my presence. And so we need to realize that when we suffer, we are not in the wilderness, but we are close to Jesus. In fact, the scripture says that we fellowship with him in his sufferings. And when we suffer by saying no to ourselves and being led wherever Jesus calls us, maybe into a bad situation that leads us into a hard financial spot, or maybe into saying no to something I loved for so long, or saying no to someone that I thought was good for me, 
or that I wanted really bad or I thought I couldn't live without or to a habit that I have done for so long that I can't imagine my life without it. When we suffer, our body will feel pain. It will feel like we're being nailed to the cross. It will feel like asphyxiation, how Jesus was dying, that he was suffocating for his last breaths and even then wasn't allowed to die that way but was speared in the side where life will feel like when I thought nothing else could happen. Here it is where I am pierced in the side. There is where we find fellowship with Christ. There is where we find where Jesus turns around and says, are you still with me? And there you are, experiencing life. Suffering does not mean something is wrong with your Christianity or something has gone wrong with your prayer life or something that Jesus is mad at you. No, it's the exact opposite. It means that you are close to him. It means that you are fellowshipping with him. It means that you are in his presence and you are in good company. So church, let us deny ourselves, our will, our desires, our heart's longings. Let us take up our cross daily. Let us drink the cup and we will find life. We will find it more abundantly than ever before. And that is why David, who had everything a person can dream of, said that I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house, in the presence of God than anywhere else. Examine who you believe Jesus is. Don't examine it theoretically. Examine your lifestyle. Examine your choices. Our very soul is at stake if we define Jesus and following him based on anything other than how he defines it. If you understand him to be the Christ, then join him in his journey to glory through suffering and you will find the very thing that you have laid down, life and life more abundantly. Would you stand and pray with me? We welcome you right now, Holy Spirit, to dig up the ground of our hearts. The things that we have hidden, the things that we have hold, held on to, the things that we have thought were better left in our control than in yours. Holy Spirit, I ask you to expose that now. that we would know the very thing that we are holding on to and grasping so tightly, the thing that we think we need, that we know better than you is the thing that is killing us. God, that we would know you. The power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your sufferings, 
and that we would know that as we take this journey with you and our body screams that it's wrong, that something's wrong, as our heart claws after its own way, that we would remember who we stand next to, to ask, will we drink the cup? And that we would drink it with you, knowing that it is only you who offers what we truly long for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we worship, we're gonna have a prayer team here on the side. Church, if there's anything that you need prayer for, if there's anything that you're struggling in life with, please, I ask you, bring it to us. Let us pray with you and for you.